it's like on the southern part of Ireland. I'm not going to get the exact location, but it's like the southeastern part of Ireland. And it's cool because you're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's just farmland everywhere. And you park on the side of this road and you pretty much walk all the way to the side of the cliff. And then it's just, you have a little entryway and then it's just this massive 200 foot cliff. And it literally goes straight and then it catty corners like this. It's like literally like a box, like a bay box, I guess you could say. And um, yeah, it's just like that. And then on the very left part of the bay box, the, uh, the bay, you have this rock that goes out like this. And then it has this like drainage, like river thing right here. And then another part of the beach that goes like this. And the waves come in and they kind of close out on the left, on the right, I guess the left part of the wave. But on the right part, when you're dropping in, it pretty much is just this crazy perfect left slab. It comes out of such deep water that it's just a lull or a lull. It's just like a swell that comes in and then the last second goes, just folds over itself. And when it's perfect, it's one of the craziest, it's the prettiest wave by far that I've ever filmed. And it's probably one of the heaviest waves in the world. It does get pretty big. It gets too big. It's not like, like ship sterns, when it gets big, it can fold, but it can get double overhead plus and they'll be towing it at that time. And it's literally waist to head deep where the wave's breaking. And it breaks in the same exact spot, no matter the size. Welcome to Speaking From Water, episode number 40. Thank you all for joining us. Today we have a legend of the camera lens. He is all over the world. Right now he's in Portugal and he has been scoring the sickest winter. I've been following him on the Instagram. Uh, he's been um, all over Europe, just catching slabs, catching big waves and documenting it all for us. Peyton Willard, thank you so much for joining us on Speaking From Water. Yeah, of course. I'm psyched to be talking with you. It's um, yeah, it's been a, a pretty incredible winter. Uh, Europe is an amazing place for waves, so I'm happy to talk about anything and everything. Dope, dope. Well, let's start with today. How's it going over there? Uh, today was interesting. It was smaller and like a lot of wind swell. It reminded me a lot of the East Coast from like I'm from Florida, so it reminded me a lot of like East Coast type swells. So it was fun, but uh, we have a lot of swell in the way coming next week. So I'm, I'm stoked on that. It's going to be huge. And, and where exactly are you basing yourself now? So I live in Peniche. So I'm like an hour north of Lisbon. Nice. And just from following you, you've been out there for a, a number of years. Uh, when did you head out to to Europe? You, you said you're from the East Coast, and uh, I, I want to get I want to get to your history. But but how did you get to Europe? Um, so actually my whole family moved out here to Europe, to Portugal, and we moved, uh, right now we're in January or February. So we moved probably around 14 or 15 months ago, like fully moved, but we've been coming here for three or four years, just like off and on. And we just really loved Europe and we decided to move. And I originally moved over here to go to university but um i don't think i'm doing that anymore now i'm just going to be i'm pretty much just full-fledged like devoted into surf videography right now what a dream man what a dream so 
where in Florida did you grow up in your early years? And second part to that question, uh, when did you really get into the ocean in, as far as it being a an obsession? Um, so I was born and raised in St. Augustine, Florida, which is like an hour south of Jacksonville. It's the uh, United States. It's the nation's oldest city. Fun fact. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't really like the ocean or the beach for a very long time. Um, I think I start, I started video or photography in the ocean when I was around 14. So before then I didn't really like, I surfed here and there, but I had a huge, uh, fear of sharks. And of course there are a ton in Florida. So it kind of kept me away from the ocean for a long time. But as I started, as I got into starting to take photos, like when I started, I just enjoyed taking photos. And then when I started taking photos of surfing, I started doing it a lot and meeting people. And then it got me interested in uh, going into the ocean and being around the ocean a lot more. So my obsession with the ocean has started five or six years ago. But before that, I pretty much didn't really enjoy the ocean at all. And what what got you so fearful of sharks? Was it media? What was it? Did something happen? Shark Week, <laughs> yeah, Shark Week uh, is definitely what put the fear of sharks into me. So unfortunate yeah. because uh, you know the Jaws movie comes out and everyone's super scared of sharks for years. Then they got the Shark Week and everyone's just like not not having it. But really, like on this point. Um, did you ever encounter a, a shark since? Um, like you mean like since going into the water? Yeah, yeah. Like, were your fears founded or unfounded? Um, it kind of just disappeared with being in the water more. Now, um, New Smyrna Beach is where I've been uh, quite a bit uh, when I was in Florida, and that was in like an hour south of me, and that's a shark bite capital of the world. So. There have been a couple of times where they've been pretty close. There was this one time where I was taking photos in the water. Literally, it was like a waist-high day, and I was waist-deep in the water, literally two feet deep in the water. And I looked to my right, and it's this giant six-foot shark just swimming right next to me through the wave. And I was like, oh. So I have had a couple of occurrences that have been kind of close, but nothing like serious or anything not like i've been attacked or anything but i've had a friend who's been attacked and i've been uh i had a friend i went to ponce inlet which is on the other side of the inlet of new smyrna and i was taking photos and one of my friends was out surfing and he got attacked by a shark and it pretty much just mauled his hand it was so it was it was pretty heavy but but the, yeah, the stoke is the, water. the stoke's so good that you just gotta you just overcame it and and yeah right yeah, pretty much. You just got to kind of got to learn to live with it because if you want to be in the ocean, it's their home. So you're 14. What what was it that made you want to pick up a camera? How did that happen? Tell us that story. So when I was younger, um, probably like starting maybe when I was like nine or 10, I was super into meteorology, like hurricane like weather. So of course, living in Florida, hurricanes are a big thing um thunderstorms um i mean weather affects us quite a bit in florida uh like severe weather which is what i really really loved so i was doing a lot of um just 
meteorology and loving it. And then my mom had a camera. So when I was probably around 12 or 13, I started to pick up her, you know, use her camera, which was a Nikon D70, which at the time was a 10 year old camera. So right now it's probably a 15 or 16 year old camera. So it's pretty outdated, but it still took great photos. And um, I just pretty much just started taking photos of everything and anything that I, you know, enjoyed clouds and storms, or um, I had a lot of pet animals like chickens, uh, ducks. I had a pet, two pet pigs. So I just enjoyed taking pictures of everything. And then um, I had a friend convince me to go take photos of him surfing. Now at this time I knew zero surfers besides him. So he convinced me to go take photos of him surfing. And then I decided that I would, and I really enjoyed it. And that was January, 2017 i think it was sick okay yeah. so you start with photos and and what what was it about the surfing there at first that got you so stoked well okay so i started in january and then later on a couple of months march came around and on the east coast we had a huge winter storm form up to the north it was called winter storm riley and Winter Storm Riley sent us pretty, now, of course, living in Portugal, they weren't very large waves. But at the time in Florida, they were huge waves. They were four, five, six foot. So it was like, you know, proper Florida waves. And I just started taking photos. I took photos during that time of the swell. And seeing waves and seeing people, like, that could actually, like, surf on the proper waves, like, pro surfers, Chris Rapero or Gabe Kling, which Gabe Kling was on tour. Um, a lot of these local guys that live around me, seeing these guys surf, it made me just really love it a lot more because then you could see like progression and like instead of just filming people that are not average, but like not pros and then you see people that are pros, it really draws your eyes and really makes you want to shoot more pros and be more involved with it. And then also shooting that swell Every, of course, everyone loves the photographers. So I got um, a lot of people messaging me for photos and stuff. So it helped me make, make a lot of connections. So that's pretty much how I continued on and um, gained that obsession with it. And when did you make your first trip to, to Europe? Um, my first trip for surfing in Europe was to two years ago no three two years ago so it was october of 2022 so two winters ago and i went to ireland but before that i mean i've been to europe before numerous times on like family vacations but my first time for surfing was um yeah october of 2022 in ireland and that was a a, a family trip or a specific surf trip that you wanted to go on to, to capture ireland's waves a specific surf trip. So I had a friend, his name is Robbie Goodwin. He's a, he's crazy. He just loves to charge big waves. It's, it's, I don't understand why. I don't understand how people look at a 40 foot barrel and are like, oh, I want to go out there. It's so crazy to me because he's, and he's super comfortable out there too with all the, all the, all the hours he's put out there. So um, I went on a surf trip with him and he's my friend from Florida. And um, we went out there for six weeks and just traveled around Ireland and explored all the numerous slabs and beach breaks and whatever Ireland has to offer. To offer. 
and in which uh, spots did you hit up and how did they look? Um, so the main surf town in Ireland is called Bundurin. And Bundurin, um, 10 miles to the, like a 10 minute drive from Bundurin is Mullagmore, which Mullagmore is where the, you know, the big wave spot in Ireland is. One of the craziest waves in the entire world by far. And um, we were up there in Bundurin. There's a couple of slabs up there that are insane, perfect left slabs. Of course, Mullagmore we went to, and then to the south of Ireland, we were in, we were based in La Hinch, which in La Hinch, there's the cliffs of Moher, which are some of the tallest cliffs in Europe, and they're beautiful. They're pretty much just straight down, and it's crazy because at the bottom of the cliffs is literally at the top, the tallest part of the cliffs, which is 700 feet tall, at the bottom is a one of the craziest slabs in the world. It's called Aileen's. And it's a right slab. And we were there. Uh, there's also another slab an hour south. It's called Riley's. And it's literally, there's a corner cliff like, like this. And it's literally on the end. Yeah. Is it number, number two on your Instagram feed, which will be in the description below. So this is where you're referring. Yeah. On the, literally in the bottom of the cliff. I don't know if I show the wave or not, but it's just to the right more. There's the wave. It's literally in the bottom. I was checking it out. Yeah. So there's a lot of waves in Ireland that we were exploring. It's it's a pretty insane place if you like cold water uh, perfection. Now, that particular spot that really got me a second ago when I saw that image for the first time was that hike up to the beach, like down to the beach and up to the beach. Um, break that down for us. It's literally a goat trail. And it goes, so you're the tallest part of the cliff is 700 feet, which you see in the photo, but we're a little bit lower. We're about 400 or 500 feet up. So you're pretty much... The side of the cliff is pretty much a huge like drop. It's not like straight down, but it's a very harsh degree of an angle down. So you're pretty much on a goat trail going diagonally all the way down. And the goat trail at times is literally six inches wide. So you're pretty much just holding onto the side as you crawl over. And it's, I don't know how people do it with surfboards. It's scary, but you're pretty much going diagonal, zigzagging all the way down to the bottom. And then of course you have to come all the way to the top, which is the hard part. But it's beautiful, but it is kind of terrifying, especially if you do it for the first time. Yeah. So uh, while we're on the subject of geography, let's merge your love of meteorology with geography, because that's really where these slabs come into play and these big waves around the world. You know, I'm thinking Nazare, Mulgamore, uh, and you can you can imagine that 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 cliff face continues to go go down deep into the ocean, which is why it slabs up so hard on, on the rocks there. Um, can you speak to that and how much you think about that when you're, when you're shooting these, these places? I think about it a lot. The topography, I think it's called topography, right? Yeah. The there topography we go. Of the bottom. It's like on the East coast, it's pretty boring. Uh, it's pretty much just sand all the way to where the thing, where the uh, beach is. And it's pretty shallow. Like you can be three or four miles off the sh offshore and it's, maybe 100 feet deep at most depending on where you are but on the east coast or the west coast of europe it's totally different um so the cliffs of moher i'm not sure how deep it it is but with those large swells that are coming through it'll be the slab will be breaking fully 40 foot waves and there won't be a single wave breaking around it that's how deep it is it literally goes straight to the shore break and all the energy from the swell literally just gets 
right on this one rock. Just just one rock right there. It's insane. That literally, there's just the one rock, and literally everything else is just just flat, just a lull. It's just how deep it is that it can't hit the bottom to break. So sick. And while we're on the subject of slabs, you had uh, you posted, I think, your most recent video on your YouTube channel. I was checking out uh, the, the title was uh, Gnarliest Slab in, in Europe. Uh, you've been to Mulgamore. I've heard Mulgamore might be it. And I don't want to claim that any wave is more gnarly than the other because it depends on when you show up. Right. Um, yeah. But what that footage you 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 put up on YouTube that was some sick slab action. Um, can you break down that spot? I don't know if you could tell us where you were, um, but that was that was really, really sick, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. So that wave, it's called Riley's. It's, I don't know if I would say it's world famous, but people know of it. It's kind of, it's like on the southern part of Ireland. I'm not going to get the exact location, but it's like the southeastern part of Ireland. And it's cool because you're pretty much in, the middle of nowhere it's just farmland everywhere and you park on the side of this road and you pretty much walk all the way to the side of the cliff and then it's just you have a little entryway and then it's just this massive 200 foot cliff and it literally goes straight and then a caddy corners like this it's like literally like a box like a bay box i guess you could say and um yeah it's just like that and then on the very left part of the bay box, the, uh, the bay, you have this rock that goes out like this. And then it has this like drainage, like river thing right here. And then another part of the beach that goes like this. And the waves come in and they kind of close out on the left, on the right, I guess the left part of the wave. But on the right part, when you're dropping in, it pretty much is just this crazy perfect left slab it comes out of such deep water that it's just a lull or a lull it's just like a swell that comes in and then the last second it goes just folds over itself and when it's perfect it's one of the craziest it's the prettiest wave by far that i've ever filmed and it's probably one of the heaviest waves in the world it does get pretty big it gets too big it's not like like ship sterns when it gets big it can fold but it can get double overhead plus and they'll be towing it at that time. And it's literally waist to head deep where the wave's breaking. And it breaks in the same exact spot, no matter the size. Beautiful. And in that footage, um, was that was that maxing out? How, how big what would you say that was as far as like how big it can get that, at that spot? Um, so there was one clip that I filmed that was huge that I couldn't put in the edit because I had to hold it for this guy. His name is Connor Blair. And he's making a surf movie or surf edit or something. So I had to hold it for him. But um, I mean, the wave he caught was triple overhead easy. But the waves that you saw, that was like one of the bigger waves that came through and it broke perfect. Um, so it can get bigger than all the clips that you saw in there. But I think it's pretty rare for it to get bigger than that. But it was, does get big. Was Garage there, McCabe? Uh, yeah, Garage. Yep. Yep. Garode, yeah. Yeah, Garode was uh there. I think he was towing. Um I'm trying to remember back to that session. I don't remember, but usually if it's breaking, he's there. Epic. Now, uh you're you're in Portugal, you're going all over the place. Kind of how do you decide what it is you're gonna you're gonna bolt and what's your strategy on on your itinerary? Um, so it really depends on 
the swell and the wind and the tides and the, I mean it depends everything depends on the weather and swells and everything like so a lot of the spots in Portugal they all normally take the same swell most of the spots now not all spots but as long as the swell is west northwest or northwest most of the spots are lighting up then it gets to the point of how long is the period? Is it too long of a period? So like the beach breaks, like super tubas, if it's anything over 15, 16 seconds, it usually is too long of a period, depending on how north the swell is. The more north, the more it can handle. But if you go to like Cocious, which is an hour south of me, then you want longer period. But if it's like a 20 second period, you can't, you don't want anything over four or five feet because then it gets too big and literally washes out the entire bed. And four foot, five foot at 20 seconds is triple overhead. It's huge. But then you have Nazare, which Nazare, if it's a straight west swell, it sucks. But if it has any north in it, that's when it hits the canyon and it gets huge. So it's pretty much just looking at swells and trying to figure out where it would be best, what spot is the gnarliest, and then coordinating with people to see where everyone's going and what's the what's the plan. So for the Ireland uh, mission, for instance, you you got on the horn with those guys, um, and and we're like, that's that's my spot. That's where we're going. Um, no, Ireland. The first time I went to Ireland last year it was a lot easier. We knew all the spots and. You can kind of get a good idea of what the swells are and stuff there once you're there for six weeks. And the last time I was there, I was there for two months. But the first time I went, we didn't know anyone besides uh, one person. His name is Josh. Uh, don't remember his last name, but he's a Grom. He's an Irish Grom, and his dad's name is George. He's a uh, a really good surf or a really good photographer, surf photographer. And my friend just hit him up because he was sponsored by Rip Curl and my friend is sponsored by Rip Curl. So that was our only like way of finding waves for a long time. But um, yeah, pretty much it was just like finding spots or asking around or just getting lucky. Is Ireland hard in that route? Yeah, I'm sorry, go. No, 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 I'm sorry. You're saying sorry. Yeah, um, is Ireland hard in that regard you know it looks like a small kind of contained place but it's if you look at the map it's so many little nooks and crannies that unless you really know uh like you're saying it, it seems like a hard place to just show up and get six foot sick footage or sick waves yeah i was there for six weeks and we got one really proper day Mulligmore twice and a bunch of like average days wow. it really just depends like so it just goes with all of europe it can be literally stormy for the entire winter. You won't get a single day, maybe a couple of days. Like this winter, it's been pretty stormy the entire winter. Besides, um, I think two or three weeks ago, there was a week that was perfect. Uh, but then last year, or last winter, when I was in Ireland, it was literally a month straight of just perfect offshores and swell. It was, it was perfect. So it really just depends on what mother nature is wanting to do but it was really hard for us at the time because right now i'm 20 but at the time i was 18 and my friend was 17 and we were um with my, my friend's boss and we were staying with him 
but he didn't really want to go to some of the spots that we wanted to go all the time. Or one time he got COVID, so we kind of had to uh, do it on our own. So we kind of had to learn the bus system. So we had to go from La Hinch to Bundern, which is normally a three-hour drive. And we had to take the bus, which took eight to 10 hours. And we just had to figure out the bus system and do that with board bags and camera gear and then get there. And then we had to walk to spots. And then one, and then a couple of times we took taxis. So the part of finding where the waves are was the easy part of our situation. It was more of how do we get there? <laughs> because we couldn't, we couldn't really drive there. And how do you read the surf culture in Ireland? It, you know, you're from America, you have that base. I understand surf culture here on the East coast. Um, is it is it relatively the same? What what are we? Uh, how is it? So, so I feel like on the East Coast, at least in Florida, like surf culture goes by city. You know, like Jacksonville has their own St. Augustine, New Smyrna, and then if you're like New Smyrna and people from Jacksonville or St. Augustine come, people from New Smyrna aren't super hyped, and vice versa. In Ireland, it's pretty much just a tight group within the entire country. So. Pretty much there's like if everybody knows where somewhere is going to be good and there's only a few people in the country that will charge it if it's big and scary. So like Riley's that swell that was yeah, you saw there are locals there, but everyone is such a tight knit group. And so like they're all friends that it doesn't really like it's a really tight surf culture compared to everywhere else that I've been where it's like more localized. And what are you doing with Connor? Connor, you know, is is world famous for his waves. Uh, how are are you involved in his movie, and how does that look from a artistic point? Um, I mean, I sent him clips. I don't know if he's going to use them. He has uh, his own Irish uh, filmmaker that he works with, so I'm not sure what the deal is with that. All I know is I have to hold them until they make their movie or do whatever they're going to do. Interesting. Which I have no idea when that's coming out. So it's kind of just holding clips until I'm allowed to post them. Yeah. So th that's kind of where I want to go next as far as the lay of the land business-wise as a videographer in 2024. Because uh, if we just do a little recap over the last 30 to 40 years, you know, when it's all started, people were watching surf videos in the 70s and 80s in, in movie theaters and as we get into the 90s, it's on cassette tapes. Then we're talking DVDs. Then the internet comes out. And, uh, it, you know, there's a constant evolution. Um, how how do you view the scene right now as a videographer professionally? Um, hey, just an update. You're frozen on the screen. Am I? Am I frozen right now? Yeah. I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if that messes with the recording, but you're frozen. Okay, I, I don't look frozen on my side. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Clear so, as oh, there you are. We're back. Okay, okay. we're good. Um, okay, can you just repeat the end of the yeah, question? For, yeah, for sure. Let's go back. Um, so the canon of surf videography is deep. And uh, before we actually get to my question at hand, what do you look back in the canon of, of videography and surfing culture? And is there anything that stands out to you as an inspiration uh, as far as the art goes? Um, with, I think with me coming into surfing so late and having zero 
background of surfing or anyone knowing surfing. It's more just athletics with American football or whatever else sports that I played. I don't really gain inspiration or any of that from the older generation when it comes to surf filming. If I have any any um, inspiration, it's more of less old videos, uh, surf or uh, football or old cinematography or stuff that like nothing that has to do with surfing. Interesting. Interesting. So let's yeah. move, let, let's move right there. Then uh, how do you then place that inspiration into your current work? Okay. So most of my inspiration that I have now is pretty much just scrolling on Instagram or scrolling on TikTok and seeing ideas that people have with Instagram reels or like their edits or um, things that I don't even have to do with surfing. So one thing that for some reason, I don't understand why I have it on my For You page uh, is cars. People love to do uh, car edits on TikTok and Instagram. And the way they do the edits is really interesting because it's fully different than surfing, but you can incorporate certain things from the car videos into surfing and that'll just level you up and make you different because somebody else is using that every single day in cars, but no one uses it in surfing compared to like, you can do that with everything. And that's what I've been doing a lot with certain things when it comes to uh, surfing. I look outside of surfing for inspiration because I feel like with a lot of surf videographers nowadays, or at least on Instagram reels, everyone wants to be so poor and no one wants to change and they don't look at inspiration of other things and everyone just has the same things over and over and over again uh, when it comes to social media. So I try to find inspiration from elsewhere. Man, that's really, really great deep insight. Let's hone down a little bit more on that. Give us an example of what you're talking about. Um, okay, have you seen on my Instagram reels where I go and uh, do the POVs and talk about like camera settings and camera gear yes. and stuff? Mm -hmm. No one does that in surfing. I've not seen a single video of anyone doing that surfing. But on Instagram reels, I've seen that on people doing car photography, street photography, wedding photography, anything, etc. So that's where I got that idea from. And that literally it's just me putting a GoPro on my head with a strap around my hat and then talking about my camera gear and camera settings because no one talks about settings or camera gear. Like literally me coming up, I pretty much learned everything on my own. So me doing this, like I'm, I can film surfing pretty decently. So um, people look at me and or look at my clips and they're like, those are pretty good. I wonder how he does it. So I just try to show insight of the things that I do and like tips and tricks because you don't have that information anywhere else. And man, I love that. And when I saw that, it it, it felt good because you were you're giving your knowledge out there. You're you're putting it out there for the younger generation, for those who are doing the thing, and uh, it's very altruistic. So uh, it speaks a lot about your personality and who you are as a person. Very giving. And um, where does that lie in you? Um, what do you mean by that? Like, like, like how, how is it that you became the, the 
gift-giving person in that regard. You are, you know, a lot of people who keep secrets to their chest regarding professional secrets. I mean, it's as old yeah. as time. I think more, I think it comes from like me just giving information out. It's just, I think like thinking back, I, I had help when it came to certain things, but when it came to actual videography and photography and stuff like that, pertaining to certain things, like most of the time I would ask people like people that are in the WSL or whatever, like um, questions referring to money and like, what do I sell clips for? How do I sell clips? All that. But no one ever, I never really asked anything about camera gear and all that. So I kind of had to just learn it on my own or learn it as much as I could. So I think me looking back and having that, um, the struggle of trying to figure everything out makes me put into perspective of people that are now coming up or have been coming up and they're also struggling with it. And I feel like with the information that I have now, I could help somebody that was struggling, that's struggling with something now that I was struggling with three or four years ago that is easy and I went, you know, blew by and now I could help them. If that makes sense. It's more of, I don't know if I would say like, it's more of feeling bad, not feeling bad for people, but like, I can't think of the word, but feeling, feeling bad for my past self and wishing I had that information and then wanting to give it because I didn't have it. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And you're, you're progressing the craft. And I think that at the heart of the matter, anyone else really isn't a threat because you can't show up to this, to the same beach the next day and shoot the same clip. It, if you tried, you know, every single clip mm. is going to be different. Every single wave is going to be different throughout the course of, of uh, the, the career. And uh, I want to move to the kind of that concept next, uh, your process and how your process has evolved over time and how you look at um, experimentation to evolve your process. So my process, when I first started, um, when I started taking photos, it was pretty much just um, take photos and post them on Instagram. Oh, wow, that's a cool photo. I'm going to post that and whatever. But wait, I got to try to think how I'm going to answer this. Process. Like when you say process, do you mean like? Let me tell you. Here, let me okay. break this down. Let, yeah, yeah, because this I think this is really important here. Yeah. The, when you show up to the, the beach any given day, you in your mind have an idea of what it is you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And when you first started, you didn't. But because you've done it so many times now, you have a process. Mm -hmm. However, that process is going to evolve and change based on little things you try. We'll call them experimental methods. And how how has that um changed over time okay now i can answer the question okay so when i first started taking photos i knew nothing i mean i knew the basics of taking photos rule of thirds you have a box you have to put something in the corners that's where how you want to uh that's how you want to lay out your image or um you know the horizon on the bottom of the horizon on the top just you know figuring it out 
So I started doing, you know, really basic things, but I think the process that I had when I first started was just seeing people on Instagram posts. Um, Ryan Miller, bad boy, Ryra. He's a really good photographer on the WSL. He was a big inspiration. And I would just look at his photos from, you know, the CTs that he would post. Uh, Jimmy Wilson, big photographer. Um, uh, just a bunch of different photographers that I would just look at their photos and analyze them and see what I could do better or ask people like them like hey what do you think of this photo what do you think of that photo and just slowly gain knowledge when it came to photos now when I started videoing videoing is way harder in my my personal opinion taking photos I think it takes to me personally taking photos is pretty easy it's just trying to be unique and finding a different angle. So when I was taking photos and it was firing, every photographer would literally go to the same exact spot. I was at Ponce Inlet one time and it was firing. Everyone would just be on the jetty or on the beach right in front of the uh, line. No one would go anywhere else, try to find different angles or anything. So what I was trying to do is just be different and find a different angle. So I would literally walk down the beach, way down there, went on the boardwalk, no photographers were anywhere near me. I snapped a couple of photos and I got a really insane shot of Corey Lopez and a little A-frame barrel with the jetty in the background, blue water, it was perfect. So I think when I was taking photos, I was just trying to be unique. And that's also helped a lot with my process. Then when I started filming, being unique is good, but it makes it way harder when you have to find the angle and you have a lot of gear compared to the just taking photos of the camera, you're just walking around with the camera. But when you're taking photos, videos of the camera, you have a giant tripod, giant camera lens. Now I have a giant battery and SSD drives and I have a whole backpack. So it's a giant process to find where I want to go. And I think I'm gonna like sit there or I want to carry 30 pounds of gear to wherever I want to go. So when I started filming, it was pretty much just the basics, set up wherever it would be easiest and film. Then uh, the more that I filmed and the more that I filmed with pro surfers, pro surfers, they seem to, or they've been filming for so long with people that they know what kind of clips they want and what to look for. So they would start to position me in certain angles and tell me, go over there, go over there, do this, do that. And then also seeing people's clips of certain waves. So I started pretty much just filming different angles and trying to be different. Like I do this in photography, but I went to do it with videography. And once I started doing that, I think I started to separate myself from other people. And then my process pretty much now is when I walk on the beach, I'm just looking at the lighting. Uh, which way would be better? Do I want my clip backlit? Is the sun behind me as a sunrise or in front of me as a sunset, which is on the East Coast is opposite. But on the West Coast, we have the sun or the West Coast of Europe. We have the sun behind us for the sunrise and then the sun in front of us for sunset. Um, do I, what's in my background? What's in my foreground? Uh, Super Tuba is my favorite angle is to walk way down the beach and shoot the wave all right, when the rights are coming towards me with Panish in the background. So I think my process now is pretty much what can I do to be unique? Because when there's 30 other filmers on the beach, you're going to get the same clip as them. And it's not that interesting. 
But if you get a different angle of a different foreground, different background, then you can make a uh, average wave into a pretty incredible wave. I love it. So you're you're using your photography background to frame your your video current methods. Now, what was it that got you to transfer pretty much your mindset from a photo mindset to a video mindset? Um, so I went to California, the Lower Trestles. This was 2020. And I had a friend, his name is Michael Dunphy, and I would take photos with him uh, New Smyrna or Ponce Inlet. But I met with him in Lowers. And when I did that, he, he's been trying to convince, he was trying to convince me to take videos. And I just thought videos were so much harder because of course, if you don't film the way from the takeoff to the end and you miss anything or the clip's shaky, it's, it's kind of a trash clip. Compared to a photo where you can literally miss the entire wave and snap one photo when they're in the air and the barrel and you didn't miss anything. You just got, you got the one moment that mattered. So he convinced me to do it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. So I was at Lower Trestles for four days and I pretty much just filmed every day and I kind of fell in love with it and just kept doing it. Awesome. Now you speak about the filming of the whole wave. So in the course of a video session, you have so much content, so much data you've done um, half the work, you know, like the other half is spent in your studio. Speak to your editing process. And do you have mental images of like the ones that were dope and you just fast forward? Like how, how do you go about your editing and what are you using? Okay, so when I film, I'm filming clips and it, unless it's like a pretty crazy way that I have in my mind, like that would make it for a cool clip for a reel or social media or, just that's I was really sick. I want to edit that. I'll remember that, but then I'll tend to forget every other clip in the session. So I'll just go home with that one clip in my mind and then just look for it and then find it and then edit it. And then um, when I edit, I use DaVinci Resolve, which is uh, free. Well, you can have the free version or the paid version. I don't think most people in the world need the paid version. I don't even use the paid version uh, because the paid version is more or less for movie editing and the free version literally has every single thing that you'll need unless you're really trying to get in depth but for surf clips you don't really need to get super super in depth uh so i use davinci resolve so all i do is find the clip put it into davinci resolve and pretty much adding contrast uh fixing the s curve to whatever i want saturation color and then get it exported out and then uh, export it out to whatever I want to do with the clip, you know, so for social media or just to hold it or to send it to a brand or whatever. Uh, so yeah, that's my process for when I get a clip and I have one in mind that I want. Nice. And then what's your, um, I guess your focus on all the different social media platforms that you do use because your work on the YouTube looks different as far as like how you present it. Uh, it's raw. Uh, there's no, audio for the most part except for the raw audio um you know which I, I i actually do like because it's it puts me there um you know you're showing all the waves but i see in other uh platform formats like your reels you know very structured thought out uh what is your game plan from a social media context so right now in social media is a very 
crazy time in social media history. Uh, before, all social medias were different. You know, Instagram, you could post a normal post. Like before Reels or TikTok or any of that was involved. Twitter, you would tweet. Instagram, you would post. Uh, Facebook, you would post too. But now with TikTok being involved, and when it came through, it blew everything. It blew up. So it changed pretty much social media altogether. Now everything is short form content. So pretty much every time that when it comes to anything, short form content, short form content, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts, uh, even Twitter, uh, Facebook, everything has short form content now. So pretty much it's super easy. You can literally post a clip and you can go viral on literally every single social media platform now, which is crazy. So that's pretty much my process is just editing a clip for reels and then posting it. Now, YouTube is a little bit different because you can post a short, that's you know YouTube shorts. But when you post an actual video, people are going to YouTube for long form content. They're not going to YouTube to watch, you know, 15 second video on their TV. They want, if they're gonna put it on their TV to watch it, they're gonna watch, you know, a video that's 15 minutes long. So from what I've seen in the past, before I started raw videos, if you watch raw clips of Indo or raw clips of Chokes or raw clips of anyways, people love them and they go super viral and they have a lot of views, but they're also like 15 minutes long and I've gotten caught doing this. You pretty much just turn it on and then once you're three minutes into it, you're just kind of like, you're just watching it. You just get kind of like, uh, just focused on it and you can't get out of focus. You can't like leave it. So that's why I started posting raw videos was because it was first off, it was easy. And second off, people love it right now. And third, um, it still gives you the opportunity to, if you want to make an edit with it, like if you post a 15 minute raw edit or raw sessions clip of the cave in Portugal, you can still use one of those clips in an edit and people most likely not remember that clip because it was somewhere between a 15 minute video. And just to hone down on this, how it goes viral and how the algorithm works, they're driving uh, the attention to the, to the content outside of the followers that are already embedded in your system. And do I have this right here? So TikTok, for instance, if it's if it's getting reach, if it's getting attention, then they're going to put more attention on that content as opposed to they're only going to show it in the olden days to the people who are already following you. And yeah, that's exactly. how it, that's how it works. Yeah, exactly. Like before on Instagram, um, you post your photo or whatever, and you would hope it would hit the explore page. And that's how you would you know get a lot of likes or followers. But now with Instagram reels, it's just if it you get, you know, I mean, it's pretty random. It's super hard to go viral on there, but there are things you can do, you know, viral sounds that are going. Um, you can, uh, if you have a 10 second video in the first two seconds really attracts the person by like a crazy title or telling them something like, like stop or like you suck at this. And then they'd be like, what, what do I suck at? And then they would watch it compared to before on Instagram, where it's just like you posted, it's just your followers. Now it's, you're trying to attract the attention of everyone, not just your followers. 
And do you think you being a uh, a young man, you know, you said you're in your 20s. Do you think this is very helpful as far as knowing what's happening? You know, we're, I'm looking at a guy like Mr. Beast, and he's he's like the founder of a lot of these methods. Uh, how did how did you find your own methods? I mean, I'm I'm looking at your thumbnails. You have awesome thumbnails uh, for your YouTube content, just perfect. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, a lot of my inspir not inspiration, but I guess inspiration when it comes to certain things and learning is podcast from Mr. Beast with his mindset when it comes to YouTube. So all my or all my thumbnails before were just a surf photo that would have been like a crazy like screen grab or whatever, and I would post it on there. But then watching Mr. Beast, he has a lot of information in his podcasts about YouTube and about social media, period. So, um, yeah, thumbnails are, there's a lot that goes into YouTube videos and thumbnails are a big part of it. What was the question again? I kind of forgot. Yeah. Kind of the, Sorry. how, how, um, well you being a young person in this world and creating in the surfing world, uh, it, it struck me from looking at your content, how you've been able to cross pollinate from these other guys like a Mr. Beast into the world of surfing and i'm i'm even talking about your uh your use of subscription in the instagram and uh because that's a that's a new thing you know how, how how that works yeah okay yeah so with me being younger you know 20 yeah i'm 20 years old right now um and i feel like like this goes back to surfing and being core and everyone just wants to be you know the core surfer and yeah being core is cool but it doesn't really work with social, like with the new generation, I feel like. Like there are new, the new generation, like, you know, there's some people that are like super core, just want to live at the beach all day and surf, but it doesn't really work. So, and I feel like with surfing, there's such a small demographic in the world that surfs. It's just people that are near the ocean and not all the people near the ocean surf. So when you can have, the opportunity to expand your demographics to like, if I make a really cool surf video from Portugal, somebody from Kansas can see that and be like, wow, I've never even watched surfing in my life before, but that was kind of cool the way he edited that or the music he put to it. So I think with me being younger and me having zero prior surf history and me growing up in American football, and listening to rap music a lot, especially playing high school football, it was just being, you know, blared at us 24-7. It's such a different culture of football. So I think, um, and me also gaining inspiration from big content creators like Mr. Beast or who else? Like, I mean, whoever else is big on YouTube that I watch. Uh, I think that really separates me and it makes it, it makes it, like me different compared to everyone else because I'm doing things that are normal to the rest of the world also, but not to surfing because surfing is so poor. Dude, that's so awesome, man. And I really like what you said about the guy in Kansas, because I think at the the heart of the human condition, we can all relate to the ocean and its beauty and its magic. And even if you don't know it yet, you can stumble upon your content and find joy and happiness in it. And it's, it's a positive thing. It's a super positive thing. It, Let's go back to the football real quick because uh, that that resonates with me. I, I'm uh, originally uh, from Washington D.C. before I came here to Wrightsville Beach in '99, and um, 
football gave me a, a, a core aspect too. Um, there's something about football that, that gives the person a, um, a determination. You don't give up. You get to practice on time. Uh, you take the hits and you get up again. Um, speak to what you learned about football and how it relates to what you're doing today. So I think football has a lot to do with what I'm doing today. With what I'm doing today. Um, filming on the beach for, I mean, there's times I've been filming on the beach for eight, nine hours on a day, at a day, during the day. And I think it's playing football and having that mindset of I'm not going to quit or also having the competitive mindset of I'm going to get every clip and it's going to be better than everyone else's clip. Uh, I think that is definitely, uh, definitely comes from football. Uh, also the hard work of like filming a clip and just having the speed and the mindset of getting things out quick or after a long day of filming, I mean, being on the beach for eight hours in a day, you just go home and you just fall asleep. But that uh, that mindset from football, just not quitting, you just continue on editing and just get things done quick and fast and better than everyone else. I think it's just more of football has brought me more of competitiveness, which is definitely not in surf videography. People are all friends. And of course, I'm friends with people, but I look at your clip and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. And you're still not afraid to to give pointers. Like you're giving your yeah. pointers. You're not holding them close to your chest. Uh, what position did you play? Uh, I played quarterback for, so I played football for four years. I played quarterback for the first three years when I was in eighth grade, freshman, and then sophomore. And then my junior year, I played tight end, which is what I really enjoyed. And then no, no senior year. Yeah, no senior year. So that's when I kind of, my uh, serve videography kind of started. 17, when you were 17. Yeah, like 17 or 18. Uh, no, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now, but it started to like escalate a little bit. I started doing some serve trips here and there and realizing that I do have a little bit maybe of a future of this. So I decided to just be dedicated to that. So I kind of gave up football because once you're on a football team, you're pretty much dedicated to the football team for five days a week. Uh, I mean, spring through winter, like six months of the year, eight months of the year, you're just football, football, football. 100%. Now let's talk aesthetics and the, the beauty of water. When you are are at your ideal location and shooting your ideal water, what does that water look like? Uh, it really depends on where I am. Uh, when you ask this question, do you mean like like watercolor, like what, like stuff like that, or yeah, yeah, color, uh, condition? Uh, is it is it messed up? Is it placid? Uh, what are the aesthetic qualities, the beautiful parts of this water that that you're just like, give me more of that? Yeah, um, I really it really depends on the surf break, the type of wave, where you are. Um, in Ireland, the water has that really emerald green uh, look to it, which I love, and especially when it's backlit, it's just that super emerald bright crystal clear like green. It's amazing. But then, of course, if you're in the tropics or when I was in South Africa, that crystal clear blue water where you can literally see the sand getting sucked up into the wave, that's also perfect. 
But then there's certain ways that when it's just the watercolor is just dark and grimy, it just adds so much like so much dramatism, so much dramatics to the um, clip that that's what I like. I mean, it really just depends. Of course, I don't know. I just I don't really have a favorite one. It just hopefully it works in the situation. <laughs> oh yeah. And where in South Africa were you? I was in Belito. So I was like, I think an hour to the west of, uh, or an hour to the east of Durban. And how, how was that trip? That was amazing. Durban or Belito is a super sick place. The waves were, I was there for two weeks and the waves were pretty much pumping every single day. I was there for the Challenger Series event last year. So, I mean, it was pretty much like, solid five to eight foot some days were digger bigger a couple of days were smaller but it was just like five to eight foot offshore and just some of the best surfaces in the world were out there so i really enjoyed that and what's the uh the beach setup um so it's pretty much just a bunch of natural and also man-made rock jetties that go out and it's just sand sandbars so it's just the waves hitting the jetty and there's a right point off the say uh the jetty just a right sandbank and uh it's pretty much every jetty is like that there's like four or five jetties and it's pretty sick and there's other ways around there but we didn't have a car so we couldn't really go around but uh the ways that were around us were like four or five jetties that were sick so what would you say is the sickest surf trip you've uh you've captured the just the the best and where was it um I mean, technically, my favorite surf trip was to Portugal before I moved here. Uh, during the CT event, my first CT event in 2022, Super Tubos was firing every single day. I was here for a month, and then the CT came during that month. So it was pretty much watching, filming, and meeting uh, some of my, like, some just most influential people in surfing at the time. And watching them serve some of the best waves in the world. I mean, the Super Tubas is by far one of the best beach breaks in the world. So I would say that was probably the best surf trip that I've ever been on. And and you're you're still there pumping it out. I saw the the, the footage uh, that you posted up a few days ago. I uh, and uh, so sick. Now, uh, how far are you from Nazare? I am forty five minutes. Very close. So you've you've been seeing uh, the best of Nazare for the last couple of years. Um, how how has it been this year in comparison to the previous couple? And um, well, compared to the previous couple of years, this year and then last winter have been pretty slow. From I have a uh, a friend whose name is Guy Fonseca, and he's a local guy in Padish. and he said, I mean, he just remembers three or four or five years ago, like there'd be times where super tubas is just pumping all day, every day, because there's just so much swell in the water and the winds are north. But these last two winters have been kind of weird. It's been really stormy. And it just has to do this year with El Nino. It's just been a bunch of south wind, which is not what you want in Portugal, and just big stormy conditions. And what you want is a super long period northwest swells. And it's just been like super short period west swells. Um, so Nazareth hasn't really been that good. There's been days where it's been like pretty okay, 
like Excel, which of course is amazing to watch, but nothing like like incredible, like you know, the double XL offshore days where it's like the cliff is insanely crowded. They did have the Nazare two-door um XL tow event, the Nazare tow event, which the waves weren't that big, but it was just epic to see. And uh the cliff was crowded, super crowded. It was like a full-on sporting event during the comp and the crowd was roaring. It like gave that like like American football stadium type vibe when everybody would catch a wave. And when you show up in that kind of scene, where are you posting up? Well, this year, um, I got the opportunity to work with WSL and to do their social media content. So all I did was, it was, it was a dream job. All I had to do was film with my phone, go film some interviews, film around the crowd and stuff like that for two days and you know film some of the best big wave servers in the world. And then just send it to them and then they would post it on the store. So um this year it was it was pretty nice and super easy. Got a got a shuttle to the to the cliff, got to hang out in the VIP area. Sorry. You, are you are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Wait one second. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, back sick. Uh, let's let's stay in, in Nazare for a second because there, the wave from the outside. I've not been there. It just looks insanely large, almost surreal. Uh, and how much of that is how the wave is shot, uh, or is it is it just that? Is it as gnarly as as it is? It's as gnarly as it is. Now there's certain angles you can make it look probably a little bit crazier, like. On the cliff, you can shoot from the back, and that's when you have the White House in the foreground and then the way behind it. And that might make it a little bit bigger looking than what it is. But when you pull up and you look at it, and it's firing 30, 40, 50 feet, it's it's big. And it looks as like it's hard to fathom. It's hard to look at it and realize it's real because you've never seen anything like that, especially anywhere in the world. I mean, waves don't get that big. And um, and then when you have the swells that are triple XL, which I went to one uh, two years ago, and it was 80, 90 foot waves that were coming through. And it's just surreal. You just pull up, you walk down the cliff, it's like dark and then the light comes up and like the sun starts to come up and you see these white waters and you're like, that doesn't look real. And then the sun fully comes up and you realize, wow, that's that's a wave. It's, it's a pretty surreal, uh, it's pretty surreal and how uh the it seems over time that more and more people are trying to check that box trying to get out there and and say i've now served nazare uh thus there's more and more people in the lineup on the biggest days with all the skis uh can you give us any stories about things you've seen out there in the lineup uh, as far as uh mayhem so you have three peaks at nazare you have first peak which is pretty much right in front of the cliff. It's the cliff, it refracts, you know, it has like that wedge effect. So it swell comes in and hits it and it wedges into the first peak. So it goes, shh. then you have the second peak, which is just to the right. And then the third peak, which is just to the right of that. And the third peak I was filming one day and this ski was towing this guy into a wave. And I'm not even sure what happened before, but I look over there and the waves fully broke. And the guy's trying, like the waves like right here, like, shh. 
and the guy is like right here trying to outrun the white water with the guy in the back holding on to the tow rope. And I'm not sure what they were trying to tell, but he was holding on to the tow rope, going 60 on the tow rope on the tow board, which is insane. Like I don't know if you've ever been on the back of the ski, like trying to hold on while they're towing. I've done it once, I've done it once with a friend, and just going 20 on that thing is scary. But imagine like full blown, like full, full speed on the ski, just holding on. The wave came, got the surfer, and then the ski was trying to get over. And the ski couldn't outrun the wave. And the wave uh, like hit the ski and the ski started to bob a little bit. And then the last second, the ski fully went 100, like full flip right into the white water. And uh, yeah, that was super gnarly to see. I wish I could post that clip. But I'm not allowed to post that clip because uh, I'm holding it for someone. But um, that was probably the gnarliest thing I've ever seen at Nazareth. Crazy. And You've been to the the biggest slabs. You've seen Nazare in its fullest. Uh, what is gnarlier, big Nazare or say a big slab like Mulgamore? I think Mulgamore is definitely. That's a, that's a hard question because Mulgamore. Okay, so like all time Mulgamore was I think in 2020 and it was 60 foot. It was huge. But the thing with Mulligmore is it barrels and Nazareth doesn't barrel when it's big. Nazareth, it kind of like, you know, goes out, but it's just A-frame. So it just goes, and then it's just a big, you're just, you know, trying to outrun the big white water. Mulligmore, on the other hand, is a slab. So when it's that big, you're towing into it and Mulligmore is also not perfect. So it'll be like, you know, small, like double overhead, and then it'll grow into this crazy barrel. But then the barrel also isn't just like, it's like crumbles and then goes crumbled. Like it's all over the place. It's not perfect. So I would say Mulligmore is definitely gnarlier. And then the thing with Mulligmore, of course you can get a double, um, a two-way pull down in Nazareth. I mean, you can get, I've seen one guy get seven waves on the head all the way to the beach at Nazareth, which was gnarly. But Mulligmore, it's such deep water that when you fall, you can get pushed 20 or 30 feet deep in the water. And then it's pretty common with inflation to get a two-way pull down there. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, now, it's been a common theme on this program. The last couple of weeks, we've had some big wave surfers, some big slab surfers, and uh, that's been the consensus that the the slab beats the, uh, say, open ocean uh, wave. Uh, so thank you for that opinion. Uh, where where do you want to go that you haven't been uh, in regards, I, I suppose, to slabs or big waves filming? Um. I don't really have a dream location. Like every wave, so my what I like is when I can film and it's firing and there's no one else on the beach or no one else filming and I'm the only one that has the clips or there's very few people that have the clips. So that's what's nice about Ireland is there's not that many filmers there. So they'll be firing and they'll be like maybe me and one other guy on the beach. But like if I were to say like my dream location is Chofu, but Chofu has 30 photographers on the water at all times, no matter the size. 
So I would say if Chopu was empty with no photographers, that would be certainly my dream location. But my dream location like that I would love to go to and film uh, now with it being like a realistic uh, expectation would probably be It's so hard to say, like, I don't know, there's just so many waves in the world that like I see that are secret that I would love to go to and film. Uh, those right beaches that you see, like McFanning or uh, Nacho Gonzalez, those are in Africa. Those would be cool to film. Um, there's a crazy right in uh, Cabo Verde, which is in Africa. That would be crazy to film. Um, there's a bunch of slabs in the in the Caribbean that people don't really talk about. Those would be crazy to film. Uh, oh, there's this wave in uh, Brazil that would be insane to film. It's called the Avalanche, and it's a slab. It's insane. It literally goes from like a lump in the ocean and just hits with one rock, and it'll completely dry out, and it'll be 20 feet thick. Just That would probably be a pretty crazy wave to film, but... I don't know. I don't really think I have like a dream way. Like a, I wish I filmed that type wave. I think. And with this body, with with the body of work you have, do you see yourself making um, a, a more complicated long form edit or such in the vein of of an old surf movie or kind of where do you see um, your work going in the future? I have been thinking about this. A little bit. Um, I have thought about maybe making a full winter edit from Europe, which is just pretty much Portugal. Um, and then I've also been thinking about when the CT guys come, just make a full like month, like three week edit from when they're here. Um, but I don't think anything like a multi year movie, because I'm always changing, and when I let I tend to look at my clips from the past and not like them <laughs> because right now my clips are like I'm always leveling up so when I see a clip from this time last year I'm like eh, I could have done that better so I don't think I could do that but I think I could do maybe like a full uh European winter edit interesting uh speak to that self-criticism as an artist um it is definitely hard to deal with sometimes <laughs> Because when it comes to filming, I'm pretty, like, I really know what I want in my clips. And if my clip is shaky and I can't fix it in post-production, it drives me crazy. Or when I see other people's clips, I haven't had this in my clips in quite a while. For some reason, my new camera doesn't have the problem. Uh, dust spots, when there's like black dots on the camera or on the uh, clips. It's so easy to fix in post-production and people don't fix it. I don't know why. That drives me crazy. Um, but more self-criticism, like, I don't know. I think when it comes to filming, I don't really criticize my stuff so much. It's more of when I'm editing and I have an idea in my head and I'm trying to edit it, but I can't get it to the way I want it. I'm really critical on my editing. And if it's not, like, perfect, I'll just get pretty frustrated and quit so i think that's where it comes like the problem of self-critiquing comes for me is just uh creativity gets destroyed sometimes
and how 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 do you deal with uh, external criticism if you ever get any? Um, I mean, I don't really get any. I mean, usually it's like my friends just messing around or something, but I, mean, I don't really get any like external criticism. I don't I'm trying to think. I mean, the only external criticism I feel like I've had in a, quite a bit was Instagram reel when I put a song on that people don't like, they'll comment it. And I'm like, I don't really care. It's my reel. I'm going to post what I want. But yeah, that's probably the only external criticism I can think of. So the personal criticism is the rock of fuel that gets you to the next level and keep leveling up. That and seeing people get better clips than me. Yeah. It gets you hungry. Yeah, it gets me competitive. It gets me want, wanting to get a better clip than them. Do you view the the act of shooting on the beach or the act of editing in the editing room? Uh, which one is more of the, of the grind, the work? I mean, more of the work would be certainly sitting on the beach and filming for eight hours. Um, it's more of just like you wouldn't think sitting on the beach for eight hours is that hard, but then when you factor in, you're having to pay attention at all times, the waves, uh, it gets kind of like mental fatigue. Then of course you're just tired and then you're sunburned. So uh, it can physically harm you, I guess. But I would say that would be more grindy physically, but more of a mental grind would be editing for sure. Because it's just like after a long surf session and you have to edit, then it's like you're just sitting there and you're just kind of grinding through it to get it done. And this question's for the uh, the parents out there that have the kids who want to do what you're doing. Where do you see the the business lie? Do you see it more on the social media spread, or do you see it in your relationships you build with the industry? So I think my mindset is completely changing right now. It used to be just. Uh, like right now is the uh, connections I made in the industry, selling clips to brands or to surfers or working with surfers. But especially this year, Surfline kind of threw me a curveball and started telling me like, hey, we're not going to, like they used to charge me a certain amount for a clip. And then I, you know, DM them or message up this winter. Like I, you know, I haven't been to Portugal, but I was like, hey, uh, I hope to work with you guys this winter um it's the same price as last year good for this year and they said yeah that would be good uh but we changed our pricing worldwide and we're going to cut your pay in half and you got to kind of think about uh valuing your work so i can't do that i'm not going to just cut my work in half and give it to them i mean if you're going to i mean my work has just been getting better and better do you think you're going to pay me half the price of the clips that aren't as good last year compared to how I'm filming this year, which is ridiculous. So it makes me, and then also um, that major, I'm not sure what the brand called is called, but they bought O'Neill and Billabong and like all, a lot of these surf brands and they're starting to cut athletes and stuff. So I think the future of surf filming, unfortunately is kind of going away from brands, at least where the money is. And I think what you're going to have to start doing is kind of just becoming an influencer almost or kind of finding it your way that way. And that's what I'm trying to be 
shifting my mindset a little bit because you can ease like not easily but you can certainly make a living off of youtube revenue and then if you also have brand deals uh for content like i did a content brand deal with dry rib uh for instagram that's easy money um like just things like that i think that's the future and that's where i'm going to try to really uh angle my work towards like that's my goal my path such great advice and the the surfing industry is evolving and you can see this with the surfers uh look at um uh you know jamie o'brien's probably the the mr beast of of the uh surfers out there who are who years ago decided hey i'm just gonna make videos and we're gonna put them on youtube and that's how we're gonna we're gonna do this aside uh, uh, instead of going on you know the pro tour and doing it the, the traditional way and i i think that's a, a a model that a lot of guys have um have picked up yeah i think it's certainly a a good idea and it's uh more beneficial because there's guys on youtube right now that are making like jamie o'brien on from what i heard two or three years ago i don't know how true this is jamie was making between 25 and 30 grand a month so if that's true that's more than a lot if not no if i 30 times 12, 300, uh, that's probably not quite more than everyone on tour, but that's probably a lot compared to like a lot of guys on tour, that's more. And all he's doing is making videos and surfing pipeline every day. Yep. So I think social media, like unless you're one of the best of the best servers in the world on tour, like not even free surfing, like free surfing, you're really not that making that much money uh, for brands. I think it's just on tour is the only way you're going to make actual livable money. And that's only if you're the best of the best. Absolutely. Uh, so what what would be the the advice you have for, for young people getting into this game? Um, I would say the best thing that you could do when you're first getting into the game is shoot. Shoot as much as you can and meet as many people as you can because you don't know who can help you with certain things or who you can meet through somebody. Um, and then as you shoot more and meet more people, uh, start gaining your own style and doing unique things, uh, trying to find, you know, different angles, um, uh, just being different and not going the same, not doing the same, like working on the same path as everybody else, because you're not going to separate yourself, which isn't going to help you in the future at all such great advice and uh Peyton what what is the meaning of life <laughs> uh that's a curveball of a question I have no idea um I don't know I don't have an answer for that that that's a great answer yeah. Um, and um, before I, before we do let you go, do you have any uh, shouts out you want to give any? Um, I mean, of course, I want to shout out, I guess, my mother, because she has helped support me. Uh, I want to shout out um, all my friends that have helped me get to where I am. Uh, shout out 
Uh, I guess shout out to God because he helped me get to where I am. Um, yeah, I guess I don't want to sound cocky, but shout out to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big uh, ups, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the all the work on the beach. Um, but yeah, I'd just definitely say a shout out to God because he's definitely put opportunities in my path that I don't understand how they got there, but they got there. And uh where where's next for you in this immediate future? Um, well, there's plenty of ways coming to Portugal. So I'm gonna be in Portugal uh, until mid-March, and then I might be going to Barbados for the QS, uh, the North American QS, just because I love, you know, Barbados is cool and I have friends. And if I don't do that, then I'll be in Portugal until I go to Australia. And I'll be in Australia for all of April and some of May. And then maybe Chofu in May. Because I'm hoping to go around with the World Tour this year in the Challenger Series. So hopefully Margaret River, Snapper, and then Derby in Australia, uh, April and May, and then hopefully Chopu in May. And then after that, I have to figure it out. That's all I've thought of. Dude, you're going to get so much insane content. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked on it. I just got to figure it out. It's hard when you're 20 and you can't rent a car until you're like 21 or 25. So it's kind of hard when you're a little bit younger, but I just have to figure it out. You're, you're definitely going to figure it out. And uh, Barbados, have you been there? Yeah, I've been there one time. How'd you like it? Pretty, I love it. It's a, it's incredible. Super Bowl was like fun. It wasn't firing, but I went there for the QS two years ago and the North American QS. So of course all my Florida friends and Cali friends and all those guys are out there. So I uh, pretty much just hung out every day, film, surf. I love Barbados. Sick. Yeah. How, how, uh, how about the culture there in Bathsheba? Where Super Bowls is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sick. It's it's definitely unique. That Islander lifestyle is pretty sick. Just chill at the beach all day. Yeah, and on that side of the island, particularly where it's just like the locals of the locals, you don't have the whole uh, tourist factor like on the Caribbean side. Yeah, and the locals are super cool and chill, and they sell uh, like all the juices and stuff that are super good. Well, at least during the comp, I've never been there after the comp but during the comp they like sell juices and random things it's pretty sick awesome man well i uh cannot wait to see what you're going to bring us and uh, hopefully maybe you'll join us for a, a part two uh when you come back from all these journeys and we can uh we can hear about them yeah for sure super uh super stoked to be on here and talk with you and thank you for the opportunity opportunity to do this absolutely Peyton. everyone Peyton willard Check him out. Follow his uh, contacts um, all in the descriptions below. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to this channel. And with that, uh, have a, a great evening where you are tonight, Peyton. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you, bro. Yeah, for sure. Peace. Peace.